You can uh, go ahead and take out your Bibles or uh, your devices or whatever it is you use to read God's Word. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the, uh, the bottoms of the seats in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or if uh, you need a new Bible or you just want a different translation, please feel free to uh, take one of those home with you. Uh, we do have plenty of them. We'd love to give that to you as uh, a gift today. Well, it's been a few weeks now uh, since we've been in the book of Matthew. We're going to be at Matthew chapter 12 today, and we're going to look at the first 14 verses. And if you remember back uh, almost a month ago now, uh, we wrapped up chapter 11. And chapter 11 ended with that promise of rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It was that promise that, that we can trust God. It was that promise that if we follow where God is leading, that he will give us what our hearts need, a rest that the world can't give. In fact, he says it's rest for our soul. And then as he gets into chapter 12 here, as Matthew writes, it links right with the end of chapter 11. And again, when Matthew wrote this, they, they weren't broken into chapters and verses. So this would have been something that very naturally flowed from one thought, from one idea, right into uh, the complementary thought. And it's this idea of Sabbath and the gift of God to us in the form of Sabbath. And I have a confession to make. If you've been going to this church for more than four years and you have a tremendous memory, about 75% of what we look at this morning is going to sound very familiar to you. All right, because as I began to lay out this passage and as I began to outline the passage, in my own mind, I'm going, man, this just feels really familiar. Uh, and as I went back, we, we preached on the Sabbath about four years ago. And you can call me lazy if you want, but I didn't see any reason to reinvent the wheel. And so again, a lot of this is just uh, pulled from that sermon, pulled from that series that we did years ago. Um, but again, four years ago, um, I'm banking that most of you aren't going to be able to pull up uh, each of these points from memory. So we're going to go over it again because this is an important topic and this is something that's worth looking at. And I'm sure that when I say the word Sabbath to you, there's all sorts of different thoughts. There's all sorts of different reactions to that. There's some people that are on one extreme where, you know what, that's just an, an old, outdated, archaic, Old Testament principle that has nothing to do with the life of Christians today. There's some that immediately think of a set of rules. This is what Sabbath is. It's a day where you do these things and you don't do these things, and that's how you keep God happy with you. Uh, there's others that when you think of Sabbath, it's, it's no different than any other day. There, there's no discernible difference between your Sabbath and any other day of the week. I think that this is a concept, even in churches, even in Christians' lives, that has been misinterpreted and it's been abused and it's been taken out of context to the point where a lot of Christians have given up on it or thrown the whole idea out when it comes to Sabbath. And so today, I want to make sure that we clearly define what Sabbath is and that you leave here with an understanding that the gift of Sabbath is every bit as valid today as it was when it was originally given, when it was originally handed down to Moses as one of the Ten Commandments. And so when we lead today, I hope that you'll see that Sabbath is not some sort of punishment. Sabbath is not some sort of, all right, you need to do all these things, more rules, more regulations. But it's the gift of rest given to us by God himself to ensure that we stay healthy 
and productive and plugged in spiritually in our walk with Jesus. Uh, Listen as I read this story found at the beginning of chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day, and yet they are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not condemn the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So what you see happening here in this story is Jesus is continuing to deconstruct everything that the Pharisees have made religion about. He's continuing to tear apart all of the laws, all the rules, all the regulations that are man-made. And there's a couple of interesting things that we see happening here. The first is that we continue to see uh, this, this division, this conflict between Jesus and the teachers of the law, Jesus and the Pharisees, we continue to see that grow. And it escalates to a new point in this story. Where at the end of this story, we're told, they go out and they begin to actively plot how it is that they're going to get rid of this teacher. How it is they're going to get rid of Jesus. How it is that they are going to kill him. And you see, they're watching his every move. Because under their own laws for the Sabbath, There is absolutely no reason for the Pharisees to be out there in that field. There's no reason for them to be out there. In fact, they're very, very close, walking a very thin line of breaking the Sabbath themselves by being in that field. The only reason they're out there is because they're watching Jesus. They're trying to see if he's going to mess up. They're trying to see where he's going to slip up, how he's going to break the law, how he's going to bend the rules. And when they see something that they think he does wrong, they can't wait to jump all over it. Any of you that have little kids at home, you know exactly what's going on here. We have an 8-year-old and a 6-year-old. As soon as either one of those does something wrong in the presence of the other one, what do you think that other one does? They come running to mommy and daddy. They cannot wait to try to get their sibling in trouble. They come and tattle. That's what you have going on here. That's the level that the Pharisees have stooped to. They're trying to trap him, and as soon as they think they have him, they begin to call him out for the things that he's done. Now, understand, there is no place in God's law, there's no place in the Scriptures that prohibits picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. 
It was only in the man-made rules, the Pharisees' own rules, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. According to the Pharisees, according to what they had come up with, according to their interpretation of Scripture, harvesting was against the law. Harvesting could not be done on the Sabbath. It was considered work, and so it was forbidden. And so you've got the Sabbath police that are out, and they've got their man. But Jesus turns the tables on them a little bit because he pulls out two examples of things that according to the Pharisees' own rules and the Pharisees' own laws, they don't condemn. He pulls out their hero. They're never going to say anything bad about King David. And Jesus says, well, what did King David do? When there was a legitimate physical need, David and his men were starving. There was a legitimate need. What did they do? They broke what's considered the religious law of the day, and they went in and they ate bread that was consecrated only for the priests. And yet God didn't condemn David, and the Pharisees didn't condemn him. And then he turns around and says, look, according to your own laws, what about the priests? The priests work every Sabbath because it's necessary. They're meeting a need, and so they're considered innocent. And so what Jesus is doing is he continues to expose the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so Jesus moves from there and he goes into the synagogue. And the Pharisees, again, we're told they follow him. Again, just looking for ways that they can turn the people against him. Looking for ways, looking for reasons to persecute him. And he illustrates his point further. As he goes in the synagogue, there's a man with a legitimate need for healing. It is a legitimate need to be whole. And it's the command of God to do good on the Sabbath, as Jesus points out. Or to do good even on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, that command, the command to love, the command to show mercy, the command to do good doesn't stop just because it's the Sabbath. But these Pharisees missed God moving because it didn't fit into their box. God did the amazing here. God did the miraculous. God did a healing. But these Pharisees couldn't see it because they were blinded by their definition of right and wrong. They were blinded by their definition of the rules. They couldn't see outside of that box that they had put God into. And Jesus gives a word and the man is healed completely. And instead of falling on their faces and praising God at this display of power, the Pharisees are so distracted by those rules, by those traditions that they created, that they become more and more angry. The Pharisees were keeping the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law was completely lost on them. To the point where even a miracle, even the miraculous, even a direct movement of God had no effect on their thinking. And again, we're told they go out and they begin to plot how they're going to kill Jesus. So what is, what is this idea of Sabbath. What is this idea that Jesus is talking about here? This command that God has given all of us to honor the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath. What is it? I want to start by looking at the precedents, by looking at the scriptural precedents as you walk through the Bible of where the Sabbath came from, why it was given to us. You see this idea of Sabbath all the way back at the beginning. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis to find where this came from, where this idea came from. There is nothing, just darkness, just void, and a voice booms out. And the heavens and the earth are created. 
And that same voice booms out and says, let there be light, and there's light. And the light and dark are separated, and the darkness becomes night, and the light becomes day. And God continues to create. And you have the water separated and dry ground appears. You have plants that begin to sprout out from the ground. You have every kind of living thing that's now found in the waters. Then with that same commanding, creative voice, the animals are formed and begin to roam on the earth. And continuing to build each step better than the last one, God creates man. And can you imagine, this is how I picture it, and this is nowhere in the Bible, but the way that I picture it is the angels had to be so excited because every day of creation has been better than the one before it. And can you imagine, you get to day seven and the angels are all standing around there going, what is today? What's next? And God goes, nothing. What? What? I'm sure in the angel's mind, they're like, man, is, that's it? That's as good as you're going to get? Nothing. God says, today we rest. Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Was God tired? Was those, the six days that were packed full of, of creation, did those exhaust God to the point where he needed to take a rest? Obviously, the answer is no. God is God. God doesn't need the same things that we did. God doesn't need rest, but he knew that we would. God created us to need rest, and so he modeled that for us in the creation story. By, set, or by setting aside that seventh day, by resting on that seventh day, God is setting that example for us to follow. There is to be a time of work, a time of productivity, a time of accomplishing things, followed by a time of rest and restoration. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means to cease. It means to stop. It means to set aside all those things that concern you for the rest of the week and unplug. And I think it's important to note here too, God sets this precedence at the very beginning. This is not the reaction of God to his creation. God didn't create man and then watching Adam and Eve work for a little bit go, oh wow, they really, they probably are going to need some rest. This is the way that God set it up. This is the way that God ordained it from the very beginning. This was his plan in creation. His plan was to give us the gift of Sabbath, to build in rest. And as we move further into the Old Testament, God takes it further. Not only does he give it to us as a gift, but because people aren't doing it, because people aren't taking advantage of it, they don't recognize what it is that God's given to them, then he goes and he makes it a command. In Exodus, God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. Exodus 20, beginning with verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each, work, each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. 
On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. And so there you see the precedence. This is where the idea of Sabbath came from, that gift that was present at the very beginning of creation, that rhythm that God created us to have in our lives. Six and one. Six days of production, six days of work, six, things of, six days of running errands, doing the things that we need to do in our lives, and one day of rest, one day of doing the things that are going to restore, that are going to fill the tank again. But in the command that he gives to Moses, we also see the second thing. We see the purpose of the Sabbath. And I've mentioned it a couple times. The purpose is simple. Rest and refreshment. We live in a day and age where too few people take advantage of rest. We've convinced ourselves that all of the things we have going on, all of the things that we're responsible for in our lives are so important that if we unplug, if we rest, if we take a day to refill our tanks, everything around us is going to fall apart. The world's going to stop moving. If we take a break from our jobs for one day, the entire company we work for is going to fall apart. We've neglected the Sabbath for too long. It's a gift, not a burden. Earlier in Exodus, Exodus 16, 29 says, Bear in mind, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. All throughout Scripture it is presented as the gift of God to us. He has given it to us. He hasn't forced it on us. He hasn't demanded it of us. He has given it to us, given us that permission to be done with work, given us that permission to disengage and set it aside, given us that permission to relax and renew and acknowledge the goodness of God in our lives. It's a pretty good gift. The purpose of the Sabbath was never to be a burden, but by the time we get to this story that we've read there in Matthew 12, that's exactly what it had become to God's people. As we said, the command in Scripture is to take a break. The command in Scripture is to rest and renew. But the Pharisees felt that that needed further interpretation, so they had actually come up with 39 different definitions of work. There were 39 things specifically that you could not do or you were violating the Sabbath. But then they took it a step further even from that. And if you even touched an instrument that was used to do any of those things, for example, harvesting grain, what we see here in Matthew 12, is illegal to do on the Sabbath, according to the rules of the Pharisees. And so according to the Pharisees' rules, when Jesus and his disciples picked heads of grain, they were absolutely violating the law of the Pharisees. But the law of the Pharisees was so harsh that if you were in your home, and you were a little bit clumsy, like I can be sometimes, and you walked by a sickle on the wall and knocked it over, and you bent down to pick it up to lean it back against the wall... Because that instrument is used for work, you now are guilty of violating the Sabbath again. And so what you see happening, again, by the time we get into the New Testament, you see this gift of God meant for rest and reflection and restoration has been taken by the Pharisees, and they have made it hard work not to work. 
for the Jewish people, they've got to continually be thinking, if I do this, am I violating the Sabbath? If I do that, am I violating the Sabbath? They've taken that gift of God and they've distorted it. And they've broken it. They've made it impossible to rest on the day of rest. And again, as we see throughout their interactions with Jesus, they they were so caught up, these Pharisees, in trying to keep the rules and regulations that Jesus points out, you're not doing the other things that God commands you to do. What about that command of God to love? What about the command of God to show mercy? And again, in that example we looked at in Matthew 12, Jesus does the miraculous, and yet it has zero impact on these men. It only serves to to upset them more. And it's immediately after they see the miraculous. And again, if, if you put yourself in their shoes, here's this man that they're convinced is against everything that they've taught, everything that they've set up, everything that they want to accomplish. And then they see the power of God work through him. And they became absolutely blinded by their rage. And again, you read there at the end of verse 14, they go out and they plot how they can kill Jesus. They've set up all those different rules, and so those have become more important than what God wants. And inevitably, what it leads to is distraction. Do you see the depth of the distraction there? Yeah, it's nice that you just healed that man, but you broke a rule. If you go to the book of John, chapter 5, you see the exact same reaction, the same thing. You see how distracted these Pharisees, these teachers of the law have become. In John, chapter 5, Jesus again does the miraculous. God again works through him in an incredible way, and it happens to be on the Sabbath. And a man who's been crippled since birth, Jesus tells him to get up, take his mat, and go home. And do you know what the Pharisees do? They grab that man and they drag him in front of the authorities because, you know what? Picking up your mat, carrying your mat, that's work. And he did it on the Sabbath. So who cares that God just healed him? Who cares that God did something supernatural, something amazing? They broke a rule. And the Pharisees were quick to point that out again in their quest to destroy the ministry of Jesus. The burden of the Sabbath caused the distraction from the intent of the Sabbath, from the work that God wanted to accomplish, the work that God wanted to do. Man-made rules, man-made traditions, more important than what God wanted to do in the life of his children. And I would love to be able to stand up here and say that's no longer an issue today, but we still see it in different ways in churches today where the things that we've created, the things that we've constructed, the ways that we've decided a relationship with God needs to look like, and the things that you need to follow, do or do not do, in order to be in a right relationship with God, those become more important than what God wants to accomplish, than what God wants to do, than the way God wants to grow his kingdom, than the way God wants to change a heart or change a life or heal someone. We let the rules get in the way. But the purpose of the Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. The purpose of the Sabbath was never meant to be a distraction from what God wants to do. It was, and it is, and it always will be a gift for our benefit. A gift to enhance our lives, not make them more difficult. And Jesus says this in response to the warped thinking 
about the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In the midst of all that had become, Jesus reaffirms that the Sabbath was a gift from God. Its purpose was not to put man in a kind of straitjacket with new rules and regulations. It was for his good, to provide an opportunity for him to worship, to provide an opportunity for him to be restored in his relationship specifically with God, to rest. Some of you need that today. Some of you need a Sabbath in your life. You need rest. You need to recharge. And most importantly, you need a time where you refocus on who God is and what God has done in your life to reflect on your relationship with Him. And I can tell you firsthand, yeah, I've told some of my story over the years that we've been here, but I can tell you firsthand that you can only live this Christian life so long neglecting Sabbath. There was a point in my ministry uh, about 10 years in where I was right on the verge of complete burnout in every area of my life. Because for me, I thought being a pastor meant that you said yes to every good thing that anyone asked at any time. And I only knew one speed, 100 miles an hour all the day, all the time. And Sabbath was a great idea for the people that I was preaching to. (laughs) But surely God didn't expect that from me. I had too many important things to do. I had too much on my plate. I couldn't rest. At the root of my problem was a failure to keep Sabbath in my life. And what I learned during that time is the Sabbath is a gift in three ways. It's a gift to our bodies. It's a gift to keep our bodies from wearing out. Our bodies can only go so long with the pedal to the floor. There's only so much that we we can accomplish before we need to rest. And for me, by neglecting the Sabbath, it began to show in all sorts of ways. My health was terrible. I wasn't sleeping. It was taking a huge toll on my body. It's a gift to our bodies to keep them from wearing out. It's a gift to our spirits to keep us from tuning out. When my body was worn, my spirit followed. It became harder and harder and harder. Even as I was doing what I considered the work of God, it became harder and harder for me to listen to God, to follow God, to spend time with God. And in my haste to do what I felt God was calling me to do, I began to neglect my own spiritual growth. I began to pull back from relationships. I began to avoid the the very thing that I love about ministry, people. I was out of tune with my spirit, and my walk with God became simply another task, another chore that I needed to push through, that I needed to soldier on. The Sabbath is also a gift to our soul to keep us from burning out. And this is kind of the the end of the road. A body that's worn out, a spirit that's tuned out, has a soul that is on the edge of burnout. And I feel that... During that time in my life, I was about to go down in flames spectacularly. But thank God I had people that were in my life that were willing to speak into my life, that I was able to get help, that were able to show me that the commands of God to rest, the commands of God to refocus, the commands of God to to grow in my own personal life needed to come before the rest of the things in my life. And my natural tendency is still to do things the way that I used to. My natural tendency is still to say yes to everything that I possibly can. 
But what I've learned in the 10 years or so since then is the value of Sabbath, the importance of Sabbath, the importance of, of disconnecting, stepping back, being quiet, listening to God, spending time with God. The gift of Sabbath is something that I have committed to taking advantage to in my life. And I don't always do a great job. I mean, you can ask my wife. I'm not always the best at it, but this is something that I have seen the value of. So the Sabbath is about rest. That's why God gave it to us. Now, I want to look in the few minutes that we have left here. I want to look at the practice of it now. We've seen the precedence, we've seen the purpose, the practice. Now, this may frustrate some of you, because I know there's some of you sitting there going, okay, you're list people. Give me a list of 10 things that I do, and if I follow those 10 things, that's what Sabbath looks like for me, and I'm going to be refreshed and recharged, and my relationship with God's going to grow, and I can't do that for you. Because the way that Sabbath works is different for every single one of us. And so I want to give you some general principles. And I'm going to, if my preaching professor was here, I would fail this sermon, absolutely. Because they're all negative examples. All right, we were taught in Bible school, don't ever use negative examples. Well, he's not here and he can't give me grades anymore. So we're going to use nev- negative examples. But these principles are things you need to know when it comes to the Sabbath. The first thing is, it is not a particular day. It is not a particular day. All right, the Seventh-day Adventists that do their Sabbath on a Saturday, they're not wrong. For the most part, the, the traditional Christian, your Sabbath is on a Sunday. That may work for some of you. My Sabbath is not Sunday. I love you guys. I love Sundays. This is not rest and relaxation for me. <laughs> I am not recharging during this service. This is what I do. This is the calling of God on my life. This is not my Sabbath. My Sabbath is, I, it changes, either Mondays or Fridays when I take a day off. If you call me on a, whatever is my day off, chances are I'm not going to pick up the phone. Aaron still yells at me because every once in a while I still do. If you come to the church to find me on my day off, I'm not going to be here. My Sabbath is going to look completely different from you. Your Sabbath may not be a Sunday either. Your Sabbath may be a Wednesday here and a Tuesday there. The principle is what's important. It's six and one. Six days of production. Six days of getting things accomplished. Six days of work. One day of rest. And so it's not a specific particular day. It's not about, and there's a lot of negatives in this one, sorry. It's not about what you don't do. The Sabbath is not about what you don't do. And this comes from personal experience. Many of you were raised the way that I was. And I did not come from a particularly legalistic family. This is way easier to preach since my mom's not here today, too. Definitely. I didn't come from a particularly legalistic family. But when it came to Sabbath, and mom, if you're watching, I love the way I was raised. And you're an awesome mom. But when it came to the Sabbath, we were pretty legalistic. It was about the things you couldn't do. And as a kid, the way that I viewed it was we went to church, and then we came home, and we pretty much were just supposed to sit. 
You know, we could, we could watch TV, we could read, we could take naps. But in my mind, God would be very upset with me if I went and played catch with my brother in the backyard. I remember we had a baseball game. I was probably 11 or 12. They got rained out on a Saturday and rescheduled for Sunday. And my parents let me play, which shocked me. My parents let me play. I was miserable because the entire game, I felt like I was letting God down somehow because I was playing baseball on Sabbath, on a Sunday. Keeping the Sabbath is not a list of things you can't do. If you go home and something that brings you rest and, and, and allows you to be restored is to go in the backyard with your kid and throw a baseball around, then that's Sabbath for you. And that leads right into the next principle is it's not the same for everyone. It's not the same for everyone. My next door neighbor, John Donnelly, is insane and runs. He's not here either, so I can say whatever I want about him. He just attempted to run 50 miles, like at once, not like over a month, all right? I could do that. And Kyle, you're just as nuts, all right, because you're the one that keeps pushing him towards this stuff. But for John, honestly, going out on a 25-mile run would count towards Sabbath for him. That's relaxing for him. That's restful for him. That's how he recharges. That's times where he reconnects with God during those runs. Not me. I had a pastor friend in Massachusetts that every day off, every Sabbath for him, was a long hike in the woods. Again, not me. That's work for me. My wife likes to do things like, like gardening and things like that. That would be something that recharges her. Not me. I, I want to do things like, you know what, give me a book, give me a newspaper and a cup of coffee, and leave me alone. That refreshes me. That recharges me. For me, Sabbath has to include a break from people. And not my family. Like, I like hanging out with them during the Sabbath. But a break from strenuous activity like running and things like that. And so your Sabbath is going to look completely different from my Sabbath. The way that you engage, the way that is restful for you, or the way that you uh, reflect, even the way that you connect with God is going to be completely different for you. It's not the same for everyone. The practice of the Sabbath is this. It's to do what relaxes our bodies. It's to do what feeds our spirits. And it's to do what nourishes our souls. That's Sabbath. Those things. Relaxes our bodies, feeds our spirit, nourishes our souls. And I want to close with the promise. And this is what we looked at a few weeks ago. The promise of God when we are committed to Sabbath, the promise of God is rest. It goes back then to Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The promise of God found in Sabbath, is true rest. Not sleep, 
although a nap may very well be part of Sabbath for you, but rest for your souls. The kind of rest that can only come from abiding in God. We need to learn to unplug. We need to learn to unwind one day a week. Maybe for a lot of us that means shutting our phones off, shutting our computers off, shutting our iPads off. If you take one day break from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you'll still have friends, I promise. We need to unplug and trust that God will be faithful. Trust that God will give us what we need. And trust that promise that you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this idea, on the surface it looks so easy. Take a break. Rest. And yet for some reason in our human nature there is something that fights against that. There is something that pushes back against that. Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us what that balance looks like. I pray that your spirit would very clearly reveal to us the, the need in our own lives to rest. And not just rest for rest's sake, but rest where we are intentionally connecting with you. Rest where we are intentionally looking for what it is you want to do in our lives. We're intentionally focusing on who you are, on the way you've blessed our lives, on the things that you want to do in us, on the ways that you want to grow us. Resting in a way that refreshes our, our spirits, our bodies, and our souls. Lord, we thank you for this gift of Sabbath. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
praise, we'll sing your praise forever. We'll lift your name, we'll lift your name, Jesus over all. We'll sing your praise, we'll sing your praise, we'll sing your praise forever. We'll lift your name, we'll lift your name, Jesus over all. As you look at this idea of Sabbath and you go back to the book of Exodus, you see this story of God bringing the Israelites out of slavery. And one of the ways that he provided for them was literally giving them food from heaven. But his command was this. On the sixth day, gather enough for two days so that on the seventh you can rest. And that seventh day came. And the Israelites were out looking for their food because it came down to trust. They didn't trust God to provide enough in those six days to take care of them if they rested. And I think for some of us, it comes down to that same thing. Do you trust that God can accomplish what he wants to in and through you in those six days enough that you can rest in him on the seventh? For some of you, you need that I don't want you to leave here saying I need to rest because my pastor said so. You need to rest because God has given you permission. And God has given you everything you need on those six days to rest in the seventh, to reconnect, and to be refreshed. You're dismissed. Any of you that have little kids at home, you know exactly what's going on here. We have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. As soon as either one of those does something wrong in the presence of the other one, what do you think that other one does? They come running to mommy and daddy. They cannot wait to try to get their sibling in trouble. They come and tattle. That's what you have going on here. That's the level that the Pharisees have stooped to. They're trying to trap him, and as soon as they think they have him, they begin to call him out for the things that he's done. Now, understand, there is no place in God's law, there's no place in the scriptures that prohibits picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. It was only in the man-made rules, the Pharisees' own rules, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. According to the Pharisees, according to what they had come up with, according to their interpretation of scripture, harvesting was against the law. Harvesting could not be done on the Sabbath. It was considered work, and so it was forbidden. And so you've got the Sabbath police that are out, and they've got their man. But Jesus turns the tables on them a little bit because he pulls out two examples 
of things that according to the Pharisees' own rules and the Pharisees' own laws, they don't condemn. He pulls out their hero. They're never going to say anything bad about King David. And Jesus says, well, what did King David do? When there was a legitimate physical need, David and his men were starving. There was a legitimate need. What did they do? They broke what's considered the religious law of the day, and they went in and they ate bread that was consecrated only for the priests. And yet God didn't condemn David, and the Pharisees didn't condemn him. And then he turns around and says, look, according to your own laws, what about the priests? The priests work every Sabbath because it's necessary. They're meeting a need, and so they're considered innocent. And so what Jesus is doing is he continues to expose the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so Jesus moves from there and he goes into the synagogue. And the Pharisees, again, we're told they follow him. Again, just looking for ways that they can turn the people against him. Looking for ways, looking for reasons to persecute him. And he illustrates his point further. As he goes in the synagogue, there's a man with a legitimate need for healing. It is a legitimate need to be whole. And it's the command of God to do good on the Sabbath, as Jesus points out. Or to do good even on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, that command, the command to love, the command to show mercy, the command to do good doesn't stop just because it's the Sabbath. But these Pharisees missed God moving because it didn't fit into their box. God did the amazing here. God did the miraculous. God did a healing. But these Pharisees couldn't see it because they were blinded by their definition of right and wrong. They were blinded by their definition of the rules. They couldn't see outside of that box that they had put God into. And Jesus gives a word and the man is healed completely. And instead of falling on their faces and praising God at this display of power, the Pharisees are so distracted by those rules, by those traditions that they created, that they become more and more angry. The Pharisees were keeping the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law was completely lost on them. To the point where even a miracle, even the miraculous, even a a direct movement of God had no effect on their thinking. And again, we're told they go out and they begin to plot how they're going to kill Jesus. So what what is this idea of Sabbath. What is this idea that Jesus is talking about here? This command that God has given all of us to honor the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath. What is it? I want to start by looking at the precedents, by looking at the scriptural precedents as you walk through the Bible of where the Sabbath came from, why it was given to us. You see this idea of Sabbath all the way back at the beginning. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis to find where this came from, where this idea came from. There is nothing, just darkness, just void, and a voice booms out, and the heavens and the earth are created. And that same voice booms out and says, let there be light, and there's light. And the light and dark are separated, and the darkness becomes night, and the light becomes day. And God continues to create. And you have the water separated and dry ground appears. You have plants that begin to sprout out from the ground. You have every kind of living thing that's now found in the waters. Then with that same commanding creative voice, 
the animals are formed and begin to roam on the earth. And continuing to build each step better than the last one, God creates man. And can you imagine, this is how I picture it, and this is nowhere in the Bible, but the way that I picture it is the angels had to be so excited because every day of creation has been better than the one before it. And can you imagine, you get to day seven and the angels are all standing around there going, what is today? What's next? And God goes, nothing. What? What? I'm sure in the angel's mind, they're like, man, is, that's it? That's as good as you're going to get? Nothing. God says, today we rest. Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Was God tired? Was those, the six days that were packed full of, of creation, did those exhaust God to the point where he needed to take a rest? Obviously, the answer is no. God is God. God doesn't need the same things that we did. God doesn't need rest, but he knew that we would. God created us to need rest, and so he modeled that for us in the creation story. By, set, or by setting aside that seventh day, by resting on that seventh day, God is setting that example for us to follow. There is to be a time of work, a time of productivity, a time of accomplishing things, followed by a time of rest and restoration. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means to cease. It means to stop. It means to set aside all those things that concern you for the rest of the week and unplug. And I think it's important to note here too, God sets this precedence at the very beginning. This is not the reaction of God to his creation. God didn't create man and then watching Adam and Eve work for a little bit go, oh wow, they really, they probably are going to need some rest. This is the way that God set it up. This is the way that God ordained it from the very beginning. This was his plan in creation. His plan was to give us the gift of Sabbath, to build in rest. And as we move further into the Old Testament, God takes it further. Not only does he give it to us as a gift, but because people aren't doing it, because people aren't taking advantage of it, they don't recognize what it is that God's given to them, then he goes and he makes it a command. In Exodus, God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. Exodus 20, beginning with verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each, work, each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. And so there you see the precedence. This is where the idea of Sabbath came from. That gift that was present at the very beginning of creation. That rhythm that God created us to have in our lives. Six and one. 
Six days of production, six days of work, six, things of, six days of running errands, doing the things that we need to do in our lives, and one day of rest. One day of doing the things that are going to restore, that are going to fill the tank again. But in the command that he gives to Moses, we also see the second thing. We see the purpose of the Sabbath. And I've mentioned it a couple times. The purpose is simple. Rest and refreshment. We live in a day and age where too few people take advantage of rest. We've convinced ourselves that all of the things we have going on, all of the things uh, that we're responsible for in our lives are so important that if we unplug, if we rest, if we take a day to refill our tanks, everything around us is going to fall apart. The world's going to stop moving. If we take a break from our jobs for one day, the entire company we work for is going to fall apart. We've neglected the Sabbath for too long. It's a gift, not a burden. Earlier in Exodus, Exodus 16, 29, says, Bear in mind, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. All throughout Scripture, it is presented as the gift of God to us. He has given it to us. He hasn't forced it on us. He hasn't demanded it of us. He has given it to us, given us that permission to be done with work, given us that permission to disengage and set it aside, given us that permission to relax and renew and acknowledge the goodness of God in our lives. It's a pretty good gift. The purpose of the Sabbath was never to be a burden. But by the time we get to this story that we've read there in Matthew 12, that's exactly what it had become to God's people. As we said, the command in Scripture is to take a break. The command in Scripture is to rest and renew. But the Pharisees felt that that needed further interpretation, so they had actually come up with 39 different definitions of work. There were 39 things specifically that you could not do or you were violating the Sabbath. But then they took it a step further even from that. And if you even touched an instrument that was used to do any of those things, for example, harvesting grain, what we see here in Matthew 12, is illegal to do on the Sabbath according to the rules of the Pharisees. And so according to the Pharisees' rules, when Jesus and his disciples picked heads of grain, they were absolutely violating the law of the Pharisees. But the law of the Pharisees was so harsh that if you were in your home and you were a little bit clumsy like I can be sometimes, and you walked by a sickle on the wall and knocked it over, and you bent down to pick it up to lean it back against the wall, because that instrument is used for work, you now are guilty of violating the Sabbath again. And so what you see happening, again, by the time we get into the New Testament, you see this gift of God meant for rest and reflection and restoration has been taken by the Pharisees, and they have made it hard work not to work. For the Jewish people, they've got to continually be thinking, if I do this, am I violating the Sabbath? If I do that, am I violating the Sabbath? They've taken that gift of God and they've distorted it. And they've broken it. They've made it impossible to rest on the day of rest. And again, as we see throughout their interactions with Jesus, they, they were so caught up, these Pharisees, in trying to keep the rules and regulations that Jesus points out you're not doing the other things that God commands you to do. What about that command of God to love? What about the command of God uh, to show mercy? 
And again, in that example we looked at in Matthew 12, Jesus does the miraculous, and yet it has zero impact on these men. It only serves to, to upset them more. And it's immediately after they see the miraculous. And again, if, if you put yourself in their shoes, here's this man that they're convinced is against everything that they've taught, everything that they've set up, everything that they want to accomplish. And then they see the power of God work through him. And they became absolutely blinded by their rage. And again, you read there at the end of verse 14, they go out and they plot how they can kill Jesus. They've set up all those different rules, and so those have become more important than what God wants. And inevitably, what it leads to is distraction. Do you see the depth of the distraction there? Yeah, it's nice that you just healed that man, but you broke a rule. If you go to the book of John, chapter 5, you see the exact same reaction, the same thing. You see how distracted these Pharisees, these teachers of the law have become. In John, chapter 5, Jesus again does the miraculous. God again works through him in an incredible way, and it happens to be on the Sabbath. And a man who's been crippled since birth, Jesus tells him to get up, take his mat, and go home. And do you know what the Pharisees do? They grab that man and they drag him in front of the authorities because, you know what? Picking up your mat, carrying your mat, that's work. And he did it on the Sabbath. So who cares that God just healed him? Who cares that God did something supernatural, something amazing? They broke a rule. And the Pharisees were quick to point that out. Again, in their quest to destroy the ministry of Jesus. The burden of the Sabbath caused the distraction from the intent of the Sabbath, from the work that God wanted to accomplish, the work that God wanted to do. Man-made rules, man-made traditions, more important than what God wanted to do in the life of his children. And I would love to be able to stand up here and say that's no longer an issue today, but we'd still see it in different ways in churches today where the things that we've created, the things that we've constructed, the ways that we've decided a relationship with God needs to look like, and the things that you need to follow, do or do not do, in order to be in a right relationship with God, those become more important than what God wants to accomplish, than what God wants to do, than the way God wants to grow his kingdom, than the way God wants to change a heart or change a life or heal someone. We let the rules get in the way. But the purpose of the Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. The purpose of the Sabbath was never meant to be a distraction from what God wants to do. It was, and it is, and it always will be a gift for our benefit. A gift to enhance our lives, not make them more difficult. And Jesus says this in response to the warped thinking about the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In the midst of all that it had become, Jesus reaffirms that the Sabbath was a gift from God. Its purpose was not to put man in a kind of straitjacket with new rules and regulations. It was for his good, to provide an opportunity for him to worship, to provide an opportunity for him to be restored in his relationship specifically with God, to rest. Some of you need that today. Some of you need a Sabbath in your life. 
You need rest. You need to recharge. And most importantly, you need a time where you refocus on who God is and what God has done in your life to reflect on your relationship with him. And I can tell you firsthand, yeah, I've told some of my story over the years that we've been here, but I can tell you firsthand that you can only live this Christian life so long neglecting Sabbath. There was a point in my ministry uh, about 10 years in where I was right on the verge of complete burnout in every area of my life. Because for me, I thought being a pastor meant that you said yes to every good thing that anyone asked at any time. And I only knew one speed, 100 miles an hour all the day, all the time. And Sabbath was a great idea for the people that I was preaching to. (laughs) But surely God didn't expect that from me. I had too many important things to do. I had too much on my plate. I couldn't rest. At the root of my problem was a failure to keep Sabbath in my life. And what I learned during that time is the Sabbath is a gift in three ways. It's a gift to our bodies. It's a gift to keep our bodies from wearing out. Our bodies can only go so long with the pedal to the floor. There's only so much that we, we can accomplish before we need to rest. And for me, by neglecting the Sabbath, it began to show in all sorts of ways. My health was terrible. I wasn't sleeping. It was taking a huge toll on my body. It's a gift to our bodies to keep them from wearing out. It's a gift to our spirits to keep us from tuning out. When my body was worn, my spirit followed. It became harder and harder and harder. Even as I was doing what I considered the work of God, it became harder and harder for me to listen to God, to follow God, to spend time with God. And in my haste to do what I felt God was calling me to do, I began to neglect my own spiritual growth. I began to pull back from relationships. I began to avoid the the very thing that I love about ministry, people. I was out of tune with my spirit, and my walk with God became simply another task, another chore that I needed to push through, that I needed to soldier on. The Sabbath is also a gift to our soul to keep us from burning out. And this is kind of the, the end of the road. A body that's worn out, a spirit that's tuned out, has a soul that is on the edge of burnout. And I feel that during that time in my life, I was about to go down in flames spectacularly. But thank God I had people that were in my life that were willing to speak into my life, that I was able to get help, that were able to show me that the commands of God to rest, the commands of God to refocus, the commands of God to to grow in my own personal life, needed to come before the rest of the things in my life. And my natural tendency is still to do things the way that I used to. My natural tendency is still to say yes to everything that I possibly can. But what I've learned in the 10 years or so since then is the value of Sabbath, the importance of Sabbath, the importance of of disconnecting, stepping back, being quiet, listening to God, spending time with God. The gift of Sabbath is something that I have committed to taking advantage to in my life. And I don't always do a great job. I mean, you can ask my wife. I'm not always the best at it, but this is something that I have seen the value of. 
So the Sabbath is about rest. That's why God gave it to us. Now, I want to look in the few minutes that we have left here. I want to look at the practice of it now. We've seen the precedence. We've seen the purpose, the practice. Now, this may frustrate some of you because I know there's some of you sitting there going, okay, you're list people. Give me a list of 10 things that I do, and if I follow those 10 things, that's what Sabbath looks like for me, and I'm going to be refreshed and recharged, and my relationship with God's going to grow, and I can't do that for you. Because the way that Sabbath works is different for every single one of us. And so I want to give you some general principles, and I'm going to, if my preaching professor was here, I would fail this sermon, absolutely, because they're all negative examples. All right, we were taught in... Bible school, don't ever use negative examples. Well, he's not here, and he can't give me grades anymore, so we're going to use negative examples. But these principles are things you need to know when it comes to the Sabbath. The first thing is, it is not a particular day. It is not a particular day. All right? The Seventh-day Adventists that do their Sabbath on a Saturday, they're not wrong. For the most part, the, the traditional Christian, your Sabbath is on a Sunday. That may work for some of you. My Sabbath is not Sunday. I love you guys. I love Sundays. This is not rest and relaxation for me. <laughs> I am not recharging during this service. This is what I do. This is the calling of God on my life. This is not my Sabbath. My Sabbath is, I, it changes, either Mondays or Fridays when I take a day off. If you call me on a whatever's my day off, chances are I'm not going to pick up the phone. Aaron still yells at me because every once in a while I still do. If you come to the church to find me on my day off, I'm not going to be here. My Sabbath is going to look completely different from you. Your Sabbath may not be a Sunday either. Your Sabbath may be a Wednesday here and a Tuesday there. The principle is what's important. It's six and one. Six days of production. Six days of getting things accomplished. Six days of work. One day of rest. And so it's not a specific particular day. It's not about, and there's a lot of negatives in this one, sorry. It's not about what you don't do. The Sabbath is not about what you don't do. And this comes from personal experience. Many of you were raised the way that I was. And I did not come from a particularly legalistic family. This is way easier to preach since my mom's not here today, too. Definitely. I didn't come from a particularly legalistic family, but when it came to Sabbath, and mom, if you're watching, I love the way I was raised, and you're an awesome mom. But when it came to the Sabbath, we were pretty legalistic. It was about the things you couldn't do. And as a kid, the way that I viewed it was we went to church, and then we came home, and we pretty much were just supposed to sit. You know, we could, we could watch TV, we could read, we could take naps. But in my mind, God would be very upset with me if I went and played catch with my brother in the backyard. I remember we had a baseball game. I was probably 11 or 12. They got rained out on a Saturday and rescheduled for Sunday. And my parents let me play, which shocked me. My parents let me play. I was miserable because the entire game I felt like I was letting God down somehow because I was playing baseball on the Sabbath, on a Sunday. Keeping the Sabbath 
is not a list of things you can't do. If you go home and something that brings you rest and, and, and allows you to be restored is to go in the backyard with your kid and throw a baseball around, then that's Sabbath for you. And that leads right into the next principle is it's not the same for everyone. It's not the same for everyone. My next door neighbor, John Donnelly, is insane and runs. He's not here either, so I can say whatever I want about him. He just attempted to run 50 miles, like at once, not like over a month. All right, I could do that. And Kyle, you're just as nuts, all right, because you're the one that keeps pushing him towards this stuff. But for John, honestly, going out on a 25-mile run would count towards Sabbath for him. That's relaxing for him. That's restful for him. That's how he recharges. That's times where he reconnects with God during those runs. Not me. I had a pastor friend in Massachusetts that every day off, every Sabbath for him, was a long hike in the woods. Again, not me. That's work for me. My wife likes to do things like, like gardening and things like that. That would be something that recharges her. Not me. I, I want to do things like, you know what, give me a book, give me a newspaper and a cup of coffee, and leave me alone. That refreshes me. That recharges me. For me, Sabbath has to include a break from people. And not my family, like I like hanging out with them during Sabbath. But a break from strenuous activity like running and things like that. And so your Sabbath is going to look completely different from my Sabbath. The way that you engage, the way that is restful for you, or the way that you uh, reflect, even the way that you connect with God is going to be completely different for you. It's not the same for everyone. The practice of the Sabbath is this. It's to do what relaxes our bodies. It's to do what feeds our spirits. And it's to do what nourishes our souls. That's Sabbath. Those things. Relaxes our bodies, feeds our spirit, nourishes our souls. And I want to close with the promise. And this is what we looked at a few weeks ago. The promise of God when we are committed to Sabbath, the promise of God is rest. It goes back then to Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The promise of God found in Sabbath, is true rest. Not sleep, although a nap may very well be part of Sabbath for you, but rest for your souls. The kind of rest that can only come from abiding in God. We need to learn to unplug. We need to learn to unwind one day a week. Maybe for a lot of us that means shutting our phones off, shutting our computers off, shutting our iPads off. If you take one day break from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you'll still have friends, I promise. 
We need to unplug and trust that God will be faithful. Trust that God will give us what we need. And trust that promise that you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this idea, on the surface it looks so easy. Take a break. Rest. And yet for some reason in our human nature there is something that fights against that. There is something that pushes back against that. Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us what that balance looks like. I pray that your spirit would very clearly reveal to us the the need in our own lives to rest. And not just rest for rest's sake, but rest where we are intentionally connecting with you. Rest where we are intentionally looking for what it is you want to do in our lives. We're intentionally focusing on who you are, on the way you've blessed our lives, on the things that you want to do in us, on the ways that you want to grow us. Resting in a way that refreshes our our spirits, our bodies, and our souls. We thank you for this gift of Sabbath. Amen.